So today we're in lesson 13. We're going to talk about Paul's exhortation. This is going to be a, a really good lesson today, especially one verse, which is verse 1. Paul's going to move on to some issues here that he wants the Galatians to be aware of in this closing chapter. And we're going to look and see exactly what you and I need to do. So there's going to be some actions on our part towards a sinful brother. How do you handle somebody you know who's in sin? Then there's going to be some issues that you and I need to be aware of towards others. There's going to be some issues about our actions towards teachers, and then a final exhortation there. So let's look, first of all, to verse 1. This is where we're going to spend a good portion of our time in one verse. There's a lot here, and let's take a look at what he says here. Paul writes, Brethren, if a man is overtaken in any trespass, you who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness, considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. So, let's take a look here. We're going to look at a couple things Paul's bringing out here in this point. First of all, an awareness. There needs to be an awareness of where fellow Christians are in their lives. That's, we see that in the very first part. Brethren, if a man is overtaken. So, Paul's saying, look, you need to be aware. So, if there's somebody in your midst who is in a sin, struggling in a sin, is given over to a sin. You need to be aware of that. So, really, there needs to be an awareness where we're aware of each other's lives. Now, that kind of goes against the grain of who we are as Americans because it's kind of like, I'm doing my own thing. I don't want you messing with me. None of your business. Don't be judgmental type attitude. That's the attitude we have about people. Really, I think they call it nebbing here in Pennsylvania. They don't want people nebbing in their business. Some of you are laughing. You know what I'm talking about. But the reality is, is in a church family, we're not just talking about an organization or a building, but in a church family, you need to be aware of what's going on in people's lives. Period. Whether it's good or bad. If they have a need, you know it. You're there for them. But if they, And then a big need is, is if somebody is overtaken in a sin. If somebody's got a problem they're struggling with. So... Here's what he's saying. We need to take note of those who are struggling with sin. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because here, usually we do take note, but here's what we take note of. We take note of those who maybe are drinking. We take note of those who maybe are smoking. We take note of those who maybe are running around. And those are the sins that we focus on, but we've got to remember something now. Paul just went through a whole list of sins, we're talking about people who are struggling with sins in general. So I would say to you, take note of those who gossip. Take note of those who lie habitually. Take note of those who have a critical spirit. See, when we talk about taking note of sins in people's lives, we're not just talking about the big sins. Do you understand what I'm saying? Because have you ever been in a church where they're really condemning of the big sins, but then you look around and people are backbiting, people are slandering each other, people are stabbing each other in the back, people are critical. How many of you have been in a situation like that? I have. And, and it's like, those big sins are really bad, but it, it's, we're okay over here with these other ones. Well, those other ones are just as bad. So you need to be... You need to take note of those who are struggling in sin. Now, here's the other issue. 
We cannot ignore them. You can't ignore it. But the reality is, is you've got to take note of it, and you can't ignore it, because if you ignore the sin, what happens to the whole group? It affects everybody, doesn't it? Now, let's go on now. So you say, okay, we can't ignore it, so we've got to deal with it, so how do we deal with it? Now, let me tell you, the typical response in church has been, over the last few years, of somebody dealing with somebody's sin. It's called, hold a hand up, bring back three fingers, drop your thumb, and stick it in their face. How many of you know what I'm talking about? It's pointing that finger in their face and wagging it. And telling them if they don't do right, something's bad going to happen to them. And that's been the attitude. Now, I want you to notice something. Look at verse 1 of chapter 6. If you have your Bibles there, read through that verse on your own right now. Is that the attitude you see listed in that verse? How many of you would say, yeah, I see the finger-wagging attitude in that verse? How many of you say, I see that? Raise your hand. Nobody. How many of you say, I see a different attitude there, George? How many of you say, I see a different attitude? Okay, we all do. So let's talk about that. First of all, he's going to talk about the person who's supposed to respond to the brother who, or sister who's in sin. Paul calls for the mature to make an effort to help the sinful believer. So let's stop for a moment. The issue is the person who's going to deal with somebody has to be mature. And the other issue is, is you're trying to what? Help them. So if you're wagging a finger, is that helping them? How many of you respond well to wagging fingers? It just makes you want to do what the person who's wagging the finger is telling you to do. How many of you respond well to that? I don't. It makes me want to do the opposite. The issue is not wagging the finger at them. All right? So you want to make an effort to help. The person has, Paul's saying the person has to be mature and there needs to be an effort to help the sinful believer. The task we are called to is restoration. Now, this is the issue in the Bible. Whenever you have something, when you're dealing with people who are not doing right, the issue isn't to squash them. The issue isn't to destroy them. The issue isn't to punish them, like give them the whooping of their life. The issue is actually to restore them. To help them to get back to where they need to be. Do you understand what I'm saying? So, if, okay, let me give you an example of what I'm talking about. So, if, if, if you're dealing with an addiction, let's say you're, you're a heroin addict. The issue isn't to tell that heroin addict how bad a person he is. He already knows that. He's, he's struggling with the issue of heroin. The issue is, is to try to help them to get back to a point before they got into heroin. Do you understand what I'm saying? to get them back spiritually to where they were before they got off into their addiction. Now, that's just, you know, that's a wild, out there illustration, but that's actually very prevalent in our area. The issue is trying to help a person get back to where they were, restore them back to what? Their relationship with Jesus Christ. But so oftentimes in the church, we want to blast people, unload a shotgun on them. You know what I'm talking about. You've seen that type of behavior. 
And, and that's not where we're at as a church. We need to be a restorer. So the task is, is when I see you doing wrong, it's not my job to squash you. It's my job to help you, to bring you back to where you need to be in your relationship with Jesus. So he's going to go on now. He's going to talk about the manner of restoration. And this really comes out of this verse. It's not the finger-wagging, let's blast you out of this world type attitude. But here's the approach. We are to approach them with a spirit of gentleness. Spirit of gentleness. Wow. In fact, who knows what Paul says here? We are, who are spiritual, restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness. Some translations use meekness. So the issue is, is I'm not going to be blasting you, wagging my finger at you. I'm actually going to come alongside of you and what? Here's the key thing. How can I be gentle with you? Something's got to be evident in my life in order for me to be gentle with you. What's it, what is it, folks? Is that you, Marilyn? Love. You've got to love that person. You've got to care for that person. And if you genuinely love them, you're going to be gentle with them. You're going to be concerned for them. So the manner of restoration is, is that you need to deal with people in gentleness. Now, let me just stop for a moment, because sometimes we equate gentleness with not telling them like it is. So if somebody's not doing right, let's say we got Bubba here, and Bubba's sitting here, Bubba's not doing right. And I come along, and I, out of love, want to help him get back to where he needs to be, and there's Bubba, and... And some people think that gentleness is, is just kind of skirting around the issue and saying, you know, Bubba, I know you're struggling, but you know, we need to do better than that. You know, and, 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 and I don't want to come off wagging a finger at you, but, you know, we, we, hope things are, we hope things get better with you. And Bubba thinks, oh, okay, I can still do my stuff. You know, he's disappointed, but he still loves me. No, gentleness is still being able to tell him the truth. You know, hey, Bubba. I know you're not doing right. You're running around on your wife. What are you doing to your kids? Man, you know that's not right. And there's a way to talk about it with them in gentleness and still hit the issue right on the head. You understand what I'm saying? Rather than, Bubba, you need to stop. You know, that doesn't work. The issue is bringing people into a right relationship with Jesus. You may want to write that one down. The issue in dealing with people who are in sin is to bring them into a right relationship with Jesus. That's the issue. The issue is bringing them into a right relationship with Jesus. The issue is not showing how right you are. It's not showing how morally superior you are. Because the reality is, is you're not. You're not morally superior than them. The issue is bringing them into a right relationship with Jesus. So we're to approach them in the spirit of gentleness. Now, here's the reality. You can only do this with this next point. We are to exhibit the spirit-filled life in dealing with them. You need to exhibit 
a spirit-filled life. Now, how, how do you know that, George? Look at first of all, verse six says this: "Restore such a one in the spirit of gentleness." Now, how do I know that? Let's go back a few verses. Look with me, verse twenty-two. But the fruit of the spirit in chapter five. But the fruit of the spirit is love, joy, peace, long-suffering, kindness, goodness, faithfulness. Look at verse twenty-three: gentleness. The ability to be able to go to somebody who's not doing right, help them to get back in their relationship with Jesus, is going to be because the Spirit enables you to do it. You understand? It comes out of the fruits of the Spirit in your life. So you need to be Spirit-filled when you deal with people. You understand what I'm saying? Because here's the thing. Let me just stop for a moment. Let's, let's get everything in, into perspective here for a moment. Let's go back to my friend Bubba, who's sitting over here. Who is going to convince Bubba that he's not doing right? Is it me? The Holy Spirit. See, I can just speak words at him. But ultimately, the one who convinces, the Bible says in, in John chapter 13, 14, and 15, the role of the Spirit is to convict, or actually the word is convince, to convince of sin and unrighteousness is whose role? The Holy Spirit. So I'm just the vessel who brings the message, and I'm to bring it with a spirit of gentleness. Spirit-led gentleness. So when I talk to Bubba about his problem, and about Bubba needs to, needs to do right and get over that, the one who's going to speak to him in his heart, who's going to help them, is who, folks? The Holy Spirit. This is the reality I want you to understand. The issue of Bubba changing is whether or not he responds not to me, but to who? The Holy Spirit. That's the reality. You're just a vessel. God speaks through you. He uses your words, and sometimes not even your words, your life, to communicate to someone that they're not doing right. Ladies, for instance, in the Bible it says very clearly in 1 Peter chapter 3, that if for, for wives be submissive, and, and if your husband is not believing, it says by your chaste behavior, by your behavior, not your word. It says with, in fact, it says without word. By your behavior, you are witnessing to them. You may lead them to Christ. Do you understand what I'm saying? So here's what I want you to understand: the key in people understanding and being convinced of whatever their issue is in their life is, listen to me, is the reality of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit. So, let's go on. Here's the perspective. Now, here's the underlying perspective. What is my attitude to be as I approach this process? Is it to be a holier-than-thou attitude? Is it to be... I'm better than you, I'm more spiritual than you, and so therefore, because of who I am, I'm going to tell you what you need to do? Is that the perspective you need to have? No. Look at what the passage says. Notice what it says there. Considering yourself, lest you also be tempted. Now, here's what it's saying. We need to recognize that not dealing with it will affect the whole. So the perspective I have is this. 
This is something that if, if it's not dealt with, it's going to affect the whole. It's going to affect everybody. So if you've got, okay, let's stop for a moment. Sometimes we focus on those big sins, all right? We focus on the really big ones. So I'm going to be honest with you. When you've got a group of people who are self-righteous in a church, alcohol is not going to be the issue that's going to drive... Somebody being an alcoholic and drinking in the church isn't going to drive others to drink. Because self-righteous people won't go there. That's why they're self-righteous, because they don't drink. All right? However, you've got somebody in a church with a critical spirit, does that affect other people? Have you ever noticed that when you're around a critical person, you tend to become what? Loving? No, you become critical. How many of you have got the guy at work who's always complaining? It's just negativity all the time. And how's your day after being around someone like that? You don't even want to be around them because it's affecting you. See, this is what I'm saying. We've got to quit. I mean, yeah, the big sins are big sins. They're all sins, and they need to be dealt with, and everybody needs to help them. But we need to be aware of other sins that are probably even more deadly. And so the perspective I have is, is look, we need to recognize that not dealing with it is going to affect who? It's going to affect everybody. So the perspective is, as a restorer, I need to recognize that when people got issues, you've got to help them through their issues because it's going to ultimately affect who? Everyone. Now, here's the other part, perspective you and I need to have. We must recognize that we're vulnerable to the same sins. Yeah, Joy. I think Matthew 18 tells you a perspective. The perspective is... As far as the church, you go to them one-on-one, -on -one, you talk to them, you try to reason with them, and Jesus says, if you, you win, if it works, you win your brother. Then it says, you go and you take somebody else with you to try to reason with them. It's a process. And, but ultimately, if they're not willing to deal with it, then Jesus says they can't be a part of the church. You understand what I'm saying? They can't be a part of the church, because they're going to affect everybody. As an individual, you get to a place where you know they're not listening to you and you take somebody else with you. And if they're not going to listen to you as an individual, then if they're not part of the church, then you've got to say, adios, this, this relationship is not good. Yeah, but here's the, here's the thing. Love can be clouded because there is such thing as tough love. Because, okay, let me, let me give you a perspective of a pastor where love can actually enable them. The reality is that sometimes tough love has to be in there. It's, I love you, but I'm not going to enable you in your behavior. And that's reality. So it's the same thing here. This is, when we talk about church discipline, church discipline, I, I know some churches call it excommunication. All right? That's not what we're talking about here. It's called tough love. We love you, but there's a certain point where if you're not going to respond to people who love you, we're going to have to separate ourselves from you until you come to your senses. That's what it talks about in the church. Now, the reason why, Joy, is 
same sin. My attitude in dealing with this, so let me go back to Bubba. Bubba's running around on his wife, is I don't, I'm not going to sit there and deal with Bubba from a position of moral superiority. I'm not going to sit there and say, well, you know, Bubba, that's awfully low of you, man, because I am so much better. That doesn't work. What works is, is Bubba, you know what, I understand, man, given the same circumstances and same situation, who's to say I wouldn't do it? But the fact is, it's still not right. And let, let me just stop for a moment. You want to guard your heart about self-righteousness here. Because if anybody here says, oh, I would never do what they did. How I many of you heard somebody say something like that? I would never do what they did. You know, I mean, Can I explain something to you? I've heard good men say that and then go off and run off on their wives. And here's what people say. Well, they were sure taught better than that. Yeah, they were taught better, but here's why did they do it? Given the same circumstances, the same situation, what could happen? All of us could do the same sin. So you can't be... See, dealing with people with where they're at, with the stuff in their lives, cannot be from a position of moral superiority. Period. This is what Paul's saying here. Let you also be tempted. What's he talking about here? Because you could be tempted. So I'm going to deal with Bubba from the perspective of being a sinner myself, knowing that Bubba's got to get back in a right relationship with Jesus, not from a position of moral superiority, but as somebody who genuinely cares, but who's able to speak the truth. Let me stop for a moment. Isn't it easy for you to accept the truth from somebody you know loves you than, than somebody who's wagging a finger at you? That's really the issue in this verse. It's being a person who loves, trying to restore people, versus, are you listening to me? Sitting there from a position of moral superiority saying, self-righteousness, ooh, I would never do that. You know, it's interesting. How many of you remember the story from John chapter 8? The woman caught in adultery, and... They, the Pharisees brought her to Jesus. Let me explain something to you. In that day, that was not a pretty sight. They probably, she was probably stripped down to her waist. Meaning she was bare when they brought her. That's how they handled things back then. And they were being very self-righteous and saying, what does the law say? And the law says that she was to be stoned. And they were trying to trap Jesus. Because if Jesus said stoner, they knew that the population, the sinners and that stuff who loved Jesus would say, oh man, we don't want to hang around with this Jesus thing. But if they knew that he said don't stoner, they could accuse him of breaking the law. And the passage very clearly says, and everybody noticed, Jesus is on the ground. It's the only time it's recorded that he's writing something on the ground. And here's what he says. He who is without sin, let him cast the first stone. And it records that from the oldest to the youngest, they left. Now, here is a theory. We don't know for sure, but some scholars believe that what Jesus was writing on the ground were people and their sins. You understand what I'm saying? 
Because here they are, they may be condemning her because she was involved in adultery. And isn't it interesting, they didn't bring the guy. They only brought her. But remember what Jesus said, if you lust after a woman in your heart, you have committed what? You can't tell me that those guys didn't struggle with a viewing problem. They're breathing and got red blood flowing through them. You can't tell me they didn't struggle with that. What does Jesus do? He exposes who they are. So you can't approach people from the standpoint of self-righteousness. Because you're not. You're not. See, this is the reality. We must recognize that we're vulnerable to the same sin. So let's go on now. Verses 2 to 5, he's going to talk about our actions towards each other. Bear one another's burdens, and so fulfill the law of Christ. For if anyone thinks himself to be something when he is nothing, he deceives himself. But let each one examine his own work, then he will have rejoicing in himself alone, and not in another. For each one shall bear his own load. So let's talk about towards each other. First of all, we are to help other believers with their burdens. This is reality, folks. This is over and over in the Bible. You know, we're not just here to be, oh, let's come to a lecture, let's sing a few songs, and I live my own life thing, and who really cares what's going on in everybody else's life? No, that's not the way it is. In a church, a family, a body, we're to be concerned about what's going on in other people's lives and where they're at and what's going on with them. So we're to help other believers with their burdens. And let me just stop for a moment. The reality is, is in a room like this, there are some burdens here. You just got to wake up to them. There are some burdens here. And let me just stop. We know I have my own burdens, George. Yeah, but you, I know you got your burdens, but chances are somebody's got a bigger burden than you. All right, here's what. This will fulfill Jesus' command to love one another. You know, when I bear somebody else's burden, I am really fulfilling the command that Jesus said to love one another. And listen, when Jesus said, a new commandment I give unto you that you love one another, it wasn't that you and I be kissy-kissy, oh, kissy-kissy, I love you, words. He's not talking about words like, I love you. He's talking about actions. Love in action. Love being expressed. Now here's the deception. He's warning us about a deception. We deceive ourselves if we think we are something when in reality we're not. It's really easy for us to get deceived into thinking that we're something when in reality we're not. You say, well, I don't struggle with pride. Oh yeah, you do. Everybody does. I have talked to people who have been in the ditch of life and believe me, they think they're okay because they're not in the bottom of the ditch. They're only halfway. Everybody has pride. I've heard people say, at least I'm not working at McDonald's. Okay, wonderful. But at least they're getting paid. I mean, pride comes into stuff, doesn't it? All right, let's go on now. We've got to do some self-examination. Here's what he's saying. We should objectively look at ourselves and not compare ourselves to others. 
Don't we fall into this trap, folks? Here's how we know how good we are. Oh, I'm doing okay because I'm sure not like Bubba. And we fall into that trap, don't we? We compare ourselves. And so we need to objectively look at ourselves and see where we're really at and quit comparing ourselves to other people. Bottom line. And so let's take some personal responsibility. We should fulfill our own responsibilities. Now, this is totally foreign to our culture today because it's everybody else's fault. It's my mama's fault. It's my daddy's fault. He beat me. It's my pastor's fault. He disappointed me. It's my coach's fault. He yelled at me. Isn't that what coaches are for? Yelling anyhow? But he yelled at me too much. Made me do too many laps. It's my teacher's fault. They gave me an F. Well, you deserved it. You know, and this is reality. You talk to some teachers and here's their parents are calling, why did you give my kid an F? Because they deserved an F. They didn't do the work. We don't just hand out A's. That's reality. we got to take some responsibility. And here's the thing. This does not contradict the call to help others, is what Paul's saying. This does not contradict the fact that you and I need to help others. So, okay, let's talk about now towards teachers. Look with me at verse 6 through 8. Let him who is taught the word share in all good things with him who teaches. Do not be deceived. God is not mocked. For whatever a man sows, he also he will also reap. For if he sows to the flesh, will of the flesh reap corruption. But if he sows to the Spirit, will of the Spirit reap everlasting life. So first of all, here's what he's saying. We have a responsibility towards those who teach us. Okay, we have a responsibility towards those who teach us. I think that's pretty self-explanatory. Let's go on. Here's the warning. Paul warns that no one can snub God and his laws. You can't snub God and his laws. You can't just pick and choose. Now, we're in a pick and choose world today. I want to pick and choose from the Bible what I want to follow and you just can't snub God and, you know, like, God, I, you know, you're, you're off on left field on this one, so I'm not going to listen to you here. You can't pick and choose. You can't snub God and His laws. Now, here's the principle. Our efforts, good or bad, will receive a corresponding reward. That's reality. Your efforts, good or bad, are going to receive a corresponding re- reward. If you do bad, if you're... If you're heading in the wrong direction, if you're constantly doing what you know is not right, guess what? No wonder problems are going to happen. It's going to be the corresponding reward. And this is what he's saying here. So he's going to expand this principle. Our efforts to indulge our sinful desires will bring destruction. You're just going to destroy yourself. You indulge in yourself you're going to destroy yourself. And that can be anything. Period. Overindulgence in anything will bring destruction. Period. And then here's what it says. Our efforts to live according to the Spirit will bring life. If you make an effort to live the life that God wants you to live, led by His Spirit, that's going to bring life to your life. 
So then we got a couple more points here in the exhortation. Let's look what he's saying here, verse 9 and 10. And let us not grow weary while doing good, for in due season we shall reap if we do not lose heart. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all, especially to those who are of the household of faith. So first of all, he's going to tell us to be encouraged. Because some of you were here would say, okay, well you're saying, if I do bad and I indulge in my sinful whatever, it's going to bring destruction. But if I do good, I'm going to reap the reward of that. Well, I've tried that, George. I've tried doing good and nothing good happened. First of all, you don't realize good doesn't happen immediately. Bad does. Destruction happens immediately. But good, and this is why he's saying here, look at, the verse, look at verse 9, he's telling you to hang in there, be encouraged, because in due season, you're going to reap the reward. It's a long-term thing. So here's what he's saying. Never give up doing what is right, because we will see the reward. Don't give it up. Even though it looks like things are bad, don't give it up, because you've got to have a long-term perspective, because down the road, it's going to be okay. Down the road, it's going to be okay. So then here's the point. Do good. With every opportunity, we must do good towards others, especially believers. With every opportunity, you've got to do good, especially towards other believers. Okay, let's close our time in prayer, and we'll get ready for the morning worship service.